Good day, podcast listeners. We're grateful to have you here with us today. Uh, my name is Jonathan, and we actually have on the line with us uh, Mark Shaw. So, Mark, welcome to the program. Thank you. Glad to be here, Jonathan. Yeah. So, Mark, why don't you let our listeners where you're at, let let them know where you're actually calling in from? You know, I'm calling from Indianapolis, Indiana. All right. Who's your country, huh? Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Well, uh, the, the, you're in the heartland. Yeah. The crossroads of America, they call Indiana. So, uh, yeah. Now are you from, are you from that area originally? My, uh, my dad was born here. I was born in uh, Kentucky and then lived really most of my life in, uh, Alabama. So I'm kind of an Alabama guy, really. Okay. Well, uh, Georgia listeners, do not hold that against Mark, okay? So uh, <laughs> let's not get too many divisive uh, <laughs> uh, lines drawn here. Um, I won't even start asking about college football, all right? So, uh, well, hey, Mark, before we dive into maybe your story and just kind of some stuff that you've been doing and how God has been using you to impact others, um, Listeners, I like to remind you every now and then that we are a listener-supported program, which means the only way that you're hearing us or seeing us is just because we've had generous partners come alongside and support us, and we're so grateful for that. And so if you'd like to learn about how you can become a partner in this ministry, just go to puresexradio.com and then click on the Become a Patron uh, button, and then you can learn about the ways that you can support us. So, Mark, I'd love for you to just... uh, kind of let our listeners know a little bit more about you, uh, kind of your background, and then and how you got into the ministry that you're doing, and then let's unpack a little bit of what you're doing to help others help others. Yeah, well, I um, it, it's kind of funny. I grew up in a church that uh, didn't really offer any kind of biblical counseling, so I just thought you had to go the route of psychology uh, to become a a counselor to help people and didn't realize that I, the local church uh, can be the, the body as it's supposed to be to do the one anothering of uh, ministry. So, um, so I grew up kind of thinking, well, I've got to get a psychological degree. I've got to get a master's uh, in psych. And so that's kind of the route I took uh, for the first part of my life and then um, met a man who said, you know, what kind of counseling do you do? And I said, well, Christian counseling, because I'm a Christian. And and um, then he led me to a path of biblical counseling where I really learned how the scriptures apply to everyday life. And it was it was so exciting to, to find that type of counseling because it just uh, much more hopeful, impactful. And, uh, and so then I put all of my energy and pursuits down the path of biblical counseling. So what, what even originally motivated you towards counseling in the first place? Like, I mean, I think we all, I like to tell people that, you know, you don't get into these types of ministries where you're either doing counseling or in my case, doing sexual purity ministry. It's very hard, I think, to get into these kind of fields without maybe having some kind of personal connection, either yourself family member, someone close to you. Now, I do believe, and I have actually met some people where it's like, okay, they got struck by lightning from God, and it's like, this is what you're going to do, and they don't really have any connection to it. But I'd love to just kind of hear, how did you get 
sort of down into that lane towards wanting to pursue counseling? Yeah. Uh, well, you know, it's interesting. I, um, as a kid, I wanted to become the next Dr. James Dobson. I love Dr. Dobson. I read some of his books and, um, and did personality tests that said, you know, your personality is like Dr. Dobson. So I guess that's why I liked his books. And I wanted to become a counselor and really a, a pastor, but not really a preacher, a counselor. Um, and then uh, the college years for me were years where I went away from the Lord. I was a Christian, but I began to drink alcohol and live a selfish lifestyle. And um, God was very good to protect me during that time from uh, all kinds of bad consequences, you know, driving drunk and under the influence mm -hmm. and things like that. Um, but um, it really it enslaved me, and it was a voluntary enslavement because I was a believer. Um, but coming, dealing with that and recognizing, wow, I'm, I want to help people the way the Lord has helped me, and uh, that kind of drew me into biblical counseling and particularly addiction counseling, which is what I do primarily now. Yeah. So then let's talk a little bit more about how you be, how you sort of went from the traditional route to more of this unconventional but biblically based um, route of, of counseling. And, and are those things, I guess the question that I think a lot of our listeners have and I would even have, and I think there's a lot of people out there that have questions about this is like, so are you saying that these are mutually exclusive from one another, the traditional psychology counseling and the biblical counseling, or is there things that can be gleaned? Is there some kind of gray area or not gray area, but overlap where it's not like there's this hard line of division? How would you describe that to somebody when they're wanting to understand maybe the difference between the traditional psychological route, the, the sort of Christian psychologist, and then more of the biblical counseling route? Yeah, that's a great question. And um, I was even r reading some notes this weekend on some things that I've uh, looked at with what I think are, there are kind of three areas of counseling. There's the secular area of counseling. And I was, I worked in that area for a long time. And that's just uh, the psychological theories and ideas that are out there. Uh, by people like Freud and Skinner and Maslow and that kind of thing. Uh, a lot of those guys, it, it, you know, the names I mentioned, didn't love God. I mean, Freud opened his practice on Easter Sunday because he, he was not a believer in God. And so these are, are men who came up with theories that I think they were trying to help people, trying to help understand human behavior and that kind of thing. But I think they err, and we call it secular because it was without the Lord, without God, without his word. Uh, then you have on the other extreme, and I'm skipping over one in the middle, but you have biblical counseling where we strive to be biblical in our counsel. But uh, one of the distinctives is we believe in the sufficiency of scripture, that scripture uh, speaks to the thoughts and the, and the actions of man and prescribe how man should behave. Uh, so biblical counseling is uh, more of a opposite end of secular counseling. Uh, then in the middle, you have integrated counseling, which is where um, some good friends of mine, and, and I used to be in this camp. I'm probably more in the biblical camp now, uh, but good friends of mine 
borrow from the Maslow, Skinner's, and Freud's, and and um, and try to integrate biblical teaching with uh, how they practice and do that. And so um, the integrated counselors are probably the bigger group of of, of counseling uh, that's offered in Christian counseling today. Yeah. And I think that's a great way to describe it because I mean certainly the secular is is their their foundation is a worldview that is um, sort of entrenched in humanism and naturalism and things along those lines. Again, devoid of God, matter is all there is, and so they're going to just you know they're going to look at brain chemistry and look at these things from purely a naturalistic or even a humanistic perspective. So they start with the the human and sort of end with the human. Um, the natural. And I think both in the integrated and the biblical, there's the willingness to say there is an aspect to our being that is supernatural. There's an aspect that goes beyond physics. It's metaphysics. You know, there's things that, that even if you poke around in, in my gray matter, in my brain, all you want, there's, a, there's things you're simply not going to find that are still part of my, my uh, reality. That are still part of my existence. I've, I've thought about it before when we think about things like uh, consciousness or what we even describe as the mind. These are these are actually immaterial things that now we can see certain parts of the brain maybe light up when we are engaging the mind or when we are conscious or unconscious, but that doesn't mean that we can empirically prove certain things through our gray matter, right, when it comes to some of these other aspects, and especially when the, the, the Word of God begins to talk about this almost elusive part of our being that's called the heart. So I'd love for you to kind of maybe unpack, you know, if you want to go somewhere else, that's fine in this, in this talk, but I do think that when, when you're starting to talk about counseling, you talk about addiction counseling, and you're just starting to talk about the, where people hurt where people have had pain, where people have gotten entangled in unhealthy patterns of thought and behavior, at some point you have to deal with this biblical concept of the heart, right? How do you come to that as a counselor, one who wants to bring biblical counsel that has practical application? How do you define this issue of the heart, these matters of the heart to people who are coming to you for counseling? And I know that's a big question to unpack in a short amount of time here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 30 seconds or less. No. Yeah. <laughs> no, the, uh, yeah. Yeah. You know, I was just at a conference this weekend in, in Minnesota and I was asked this very question and um, uh, it is not an easy one to answer quickly, but I'll, but I'll try cause I'm crazy, I guess in that way. But I, um, I, you know, believe second Timothy three sixteen. All scriptures breathed out by God and profitable for teaching. And so part of what an aspect that a biblical counselor does is, is teach, teach doctrine and help. Um, but we need to be good listeners, you know, first and foremost, and really understand uh, the hurting soul that we're dealing with. Because again, like you said, these are heart issues, heart motives that you're, you're trying to get to and trying to help people to understand why they do what they're doing, you know, what they're wanting, what they're desiring. And I actually wrote a little booklet and I did a talk this weekend on uh, understanding temptation, the war within your heart, mm -hmm. because, you know, it's, it's, yes, I have Satan as an enemy. Yes, I have the world as an enemy, but my biggest enemy is my own flesh, my own desires, my own heart. 
And so discerning the heart and the motives of the heart, really, I think most people are not good at that by themselves. They need a helper. They need somebody to come along. So uh, for me, it's my wife. Uh, sometimes it's my own children. Sometimes it's my parents, you know, or, or a trusted Christian friend, a good friend of mine in ministry. And people help me to see my own heart and how I'm thinking. And in your heart's revealed, Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Mm -hmm. So it makes counseling easy in one sense that when people are talking to me and I'm listening carefully, out of the abundance of their heart, their mouth is speaking to me. So I can help them to discern what motives are there uh, within. And so, you know, the, the thing is, I'm not giving them counsel based on what I think works or my best ideas. I want to give them counsel based on the Word of God, what God says, uh, so that they learn to live in a way that is pleasing to Him, but also that they have victory in Jesus. And, um, and so the Bible helps us to do that, you know? You know, I'm sure that you have gotten objections over the years from well-meaning Christians who would maybe try to make this argument to you that says, listen, I, I, I'm with you in terms of the Bible, you know, even the inerrancy and infallibility of the scriptures, but don't we have some other uh, context in which we see that there, that, that maybe you shouldn't lean so far into this exclusive, you know, biblical foundation for counseling, because I mean, we'll look at the medical community. I mean, there's, there's nothing in the Bible that teaches a surgeon how to do open heart surgery, but, you know, so I'm not necessarily going to say I've got to have a Christian surgeon that's doing my heart surgery, but I just want the best person to do my heart surgery. Or when right. I go to a, you know, get my car fixed, there's nothing in the Bible about. So how do you deal with that objection that says, yes, the Bible's a foundation, but is that really all there is to dealing with people's emotional and mental health issues? Yeah, uh, it's, uh, you know, I think about Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit and of joints and of marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So in counseling, <clears throat> I want to use the best weapon I have to battle the enemy, which is not the person I'm counseling, it's Satan in the world and, and their flesh maybe, <laughs> but uh, I want to use this weapon uh, first and foremost and uh, make sure that my counseling is centered and anchored, uh, resting on that. And, and as far as exclusivity, I mean, I think any counselor really utilizes some uh, secular means. They, they may call themselves a biblical counselor, but we all... Uh, utilize uh, good listening techniques and things that are, you know, um, taught to us in secular counseling um, classes and whatever. But <clears throat> the counsel that I give has to be based upon Scripture, and it has to be uh, biblical in terms of what would be helpful and fruitful for them. And, and if I'm going to discern the thoughts and hearts, and I'm not talking about understanding the biochemical makeup of cocaine or opioids or whatever drug, you know, I mean, that certainly is science and that's not something that you read in the Bible and find uh, that, but I don't need that to know all that information. It, it could be helpful to me and it's great to study, but what I need to know is um, what is it about their drug that sparkles to them? What is it that 
that they like about it and, and ask questions that kind of probe the heart. And hopefully if they're honest with me, I think the relational part of it is so key that they trust me and, and know that I'm trying to help them and not just help them because I want to see them every week. You know, I, I want to graduate them as quickly as possible. Right. Um, I want to help them because I want them to be um, closer to the Lord. I want them to know him and trust him and, and, he, and help other people with their struggles. That, that's the thrill for me is just to counselee become a counselor. Uh, so I want to make sure I'm utilizing the Word of God to discern the intentions and the the thoughts of the human heart, the motives. And, yeah, so I, and one thing, Jonathan, too, psychology means study of the soul. So, you know, it, it, that's what that word means. So just, you know, I, I, I think an unused resource for that is the Bible, which God, as our creator, right. understands our soul better than any any man does. And um, and we want to start there for sure. And I think any any um, student of the word who really wants to who really understands that this is a sword, it's a weapon. That's, that this is something that can be used in a powerful way, and that it is um, you know God says that His word doesn't return empty. So there is power in it, and there's going to be a a harvest that comes from it when we apply it to our to our lives. Um, but I think even any good student of the word will also recognize that um, God does not disconnect his, the physical world that he made from all of these wonderful spiritual realities, right? And I think sometimes we try to make this massive separation that says everything in the physical world is bad and horrible and evil. And so, you know, and then only the spiritual is good. But if you if you even just look at the life of Jesus, right? He had a he obviously had a word foundation. Like he 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 bled the word. <laughs> but it was amazing how he connected it. And if I can use this word without messing up your three types of counseling, there he integrated it into everyday life. So even when he was asked what the greatest commandment was, it wasn't just some spiritual go on to your high mountain and love God. It was love God and love your neighbor. In other words, the touch that you have with God, the supernatural eternal is meant to have a touch and a connection to the very physical person that's right next to you. So from a biblical perspective, how do you help people guard against these extremists either or, and, you know, and have a more, um, overlapped and integrated approach to how uh, recovery works in their daily life. So they don't, you know, go try to be a monk on a hill somewhere and disconnect themselves from all the very real things that are part of life in terms of real relationships. I even think, listen, even what we eat, how we exercise, those are very real applications for recovery, right? Yeah, certainly. I uh, to uh, do away with the physical in addiction counseling would be uh, ludicrous because you you know uh, the physical effects of the drugs and all that kind of stuff. You've got to help people get on a good structured plan of of sleeping, going to bed early, waking up early. You know, it's interesting. The Bible even says that uh, these drunken deeds are often done at night. You know, in, Thess in the Book of Thessalonians, and so 
you want to help people restructure their lives and uh, to live in a in a different way. And I think the key component you talked about there was not only do we want them to trust God and to know God and to study his word, but then the practical application of that is in the relationships that they have. And so I think most people who struggle with addictions are lonely. Amen. They're they're disconnected from from other people. And we've got to help them to reconnect, uh, to experience the joy of being in community and and being accountable, you know, uh, it's it's tough for them to uh, do that, uh, to trust. Sometimes they've been abused or mistreated, and so we want to help them to reconnect with people and not just say, well, I, it's just me and Jesus, and that's all I need. I mean, yeah. And I think that was kind of at the heart of my question and the heart of the question that a lot of people have when they hear biblical counseling. They, I think sometimes they make this assumption, oh, you're just wanting people to just pray more, and you're just wanting people to go isolate themselves with Jesus more and almost as if biblical counseling has no practical application to it in terms of uh, discipline and change of behavior and uh, seeking to, to engage your will in new ways. And so I think sometimes people hear biblical counseling and unfortunately they see it as a lesser form of help to people than the quote unquote professional you know, degreed psychologist or psychiatrist. And I I don't want to, I personally don't want to pit those and put them in separate corners and say, Mm -hmm. or, you know, put one above the other. It's like, these are helping professions, but let's not say that just because somebody's a biblical counselor that they're giving just sort of mystical advice. There's a practicality to it as well. You know, the, uh, the problem of addiction in like in the, 12-step circles and uh, and what uh, they've written about, they say it's a spiritual problem, you know, but where I think self-help groups go wrong is they say any higher power will do. And they're trying to bring in more people and help them to obtain the goal of sobriety. And I I very much respect and appreciate that for sure. Um, For the Christian, I think we understand there's only one true God. There's only one higher power and he's the highest power. And, um, and so the knock has been, like you said, uh, people in biblical counseling tend to not be as practical as some of the self-help groups. And I think that's changing and, and certainly hope, hope it is that uh, we're not just saying, hey, just spend time with God. But here are some practical ways to make changes in your life that will help you as you change your thinking and your behaving uh, to become someone who is uh, walking with Jesus and serving and loving others well. Yeah. So, Mark, we have about five minutes left, and I'd love to just kind of get a feel for, you know, what do you do when somebody comes to you? What, how do you begin to help them? And then also I'd love for you to then uh, share how people can get more information about you and, um, and maybe some of your resources. Yeah, well, I, I, I love to help people who are struggling with any kind of addictive uh, pleasure, any kind of addictive sin that, that's entangled them and ensnared them. Uh, and you want to do that first, I think, by loving them. You know, you want to love them. You want to listen to them well before you ever speak into their lives. You see that with Job's counselors. You don't want to be like those guys, you know. Um, Maybe the best thing they did was the seven days where they didn't say anything. They just sat <laughs> with them. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Um, 
And so I think, I think you want to do that and you want to learn and, and discern well the issues that are going on uh, before, you, before you begin to speak. But then I think you speak in a way that is true to Scripture, using biblical principles and not just dispensing a Bible verse like it's uh, medicine or something, but, but really ministering to the heart, you know, um, and helping them to see that, that God knows them. He loves them. I love Proverbs 23 and just taught it this weekend. And I had a guy come up and said, you know, this was written thousands of years ago, but it really speaks to me. And, and it's, you know, and well, of course, God knows him and it's written about him. Proverbs 23 verses 29 through 35 or it's just a great rich passage for people who struggle with chemical addictions to go to. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so you, you just want people to uh, know that God knows them and he loves them and then uh, build in then the practical part of that is launching them to, to have them do some practical things that will help them to grow and change and become a more of a person, a, a better person in their eyes, but really uh, who God created them to be. Yeah, I think one of the one of the most uh, powerful sort of epiphanies I had in my own personal recovery was that uh, I had the notion blown up, uh, the expectation that I had or the idea that I had uh, earlier before my recovery, that having having come to faith in Christ uh, uh, was going to magically produce a transformative relationship with God. And what I recognized was, hey, you know what? Faith in Christ is only the beginning of the transformative relationship with God. It's wonderful that we're sealed in him, that we've been given this permanent home in heaven because of his grace. But my recovery taught me that to know God, the idea of discipleship, discipline and disciple are the same root word, that I realized oh, knowing God takes work. And not work in the sense that I'm earning anything before God, but work in the sense that any relationship to go to a depth of intimacy is going to take effort. And I think that's kind of what you're talking about, is when people come in, biblical counseling is not, you know, feel-good, cross-legged, humming. You know, it's like we're going to let the Word of God go to work. And if you're willing he can actually transform your heart and produce completely different outcomes than you had ever dreamed. And I, I, I appreciate what you are doing, Mark, in leading people into the true hope of what life is all about and what the abundant life can be that Jesus uh, taught. So I'd love for our listeners to be able to connect with you. How can they get to know more about you or your resources? Where can we send them uh, to get the help that you're offering? Yeah, the, um, the thing we're most excited about doing right now is on our website, theaddictionconnection.org or .com, either one, The Addiction Connection, all full words. And on that website, we have uh, obviously some links to some of my books. I've written 22 books and I uh, love to write, and uh, some of those are booklets, uh, but I love to write on this topic because I just think there's great hope in Christ for people who struggle with addiction of all of all kinds. Uh, so on the Addiction Connection website, we offer a 15-hour online training uh, for $97. People get 15 workshops shops taught by myself and two other gentlemen, Dr. Bill Hines and uh, Tim Brown, uh, who's run his own addiction pro uh, 
program in Georgia. But those guys, we teach, you get the PowerPoints and the notes and all that. And then that's part of our prerequisite for our commissioning process where we uh, spend time in relationship, individually with people, uh, helping them to grow as a biblical counselor with a biblical approach to addiction and um, that's genuine and, and gentle. Yeah. Well, that's great. Mark, so appreciate your time today and just what you're doing. And so God bless you. Thanks for being on the program today. Thank you, Jonathan. Thanks for what you're doing, and congratulations. 15 years of ministry. It's awesome. Yeah, thanks. Well, and listeners, we're always glad that you're with us, and we look forward to having you back here again next week on the Pure Sex Radio broadcast. So take care. Pure Sex Radio is paid for by Be Broken Ministries. Visit us online at puresexradio.com.